Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Well, hello and welcome to MotorWeek's podcast number 29, and Happy New Year to everyone out there that's listening today. And joining me in Studio C is our writer, Shamid Choksi. Hi, John. And our road test producer, Brian Robinson. Aloha. And also associate producer, and no relation, fortunately for him, Ben, <laughs> ben Davis. Hello. <laughs> okay, we'll have our lightning round a little bit later, as we always do, and we'll take a dive into the MotorWeek mailbag as well. But first, we're going to start off with two of the most um, recent utility vehicles, uh, and I use that particular term for a reason that we've tested lately on MotorWeek. Uh, the first one is the GX460 from Lexus. This is the second-generation GX, and this really is an SUV because it retains a uh, truck-like uh, separate body-on-frame construction, which is something that uh, most uh, new uh, utility vehicles do not. And uh, Ben Davis, uh, you went to the preview, and you had a chance to drive it more than any of the rest of us. Uh, what's your impression of the GX? Is it, you know, out of step with the market that's all gone towards crossovers or unique, or how do you feel about it? I think it's, uh, I think it, it's, it's just the right size to be uh, in between. Uh, the, the the bigger uh, utilities and the unibody utilities. Now they, they're calling it midsize, but is that is it a big for a midsize? You think it is? It's a little bigger than a, a normal midsize. I heard people refer to it as my size. As mm. the uh, the uh, trying oh, to boys, that sounds trendy. Perfect size. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> now now it's based on another vehicle, right? It's based on the Forerunner, yes. But um, you can no longer get a V8 in the Forerunner. So if you're uh, looking for a V8 power in a uh, a towing hauling situation, then this is your only bet. And that's really what sets this apart. I mean, it has a tow rating of what? 6,500 pounds. Now, that's a lot. So most yeah. crossovers can't even get close to that. Right. And the engine itself is new. It's a 4.6 liter this time around. It uh, delivers 13% better fuel economy, has more power, uh, more pound-feet of torque, and uh, it's made it to the six-speed transmission this time around. So this is the Tundra powertrain. That's what I've. That's what I believe. Yeah. Right. The um, my impression was um, they've taken the styling and gotten a little a little more daring. I wouldn't say a lot, but um, the new Lexus styling philosophy is called L finesse, and we've seen it on the LFA and some other things. There's a little bit. If you look dead on, you see that face mm -hmm. uh, in it a bit. I thought the interior was um, luxurious without being um, overdone. Um, Yes. How did you feel, you know, for carrying a family? Because this now has three seats standard, three rows standard. Correct, yeah. And, the, and it also has 10 airbags standard. Mm -hmm. So it has a side airbag for all three rows. It's got knee bags up front. Uh, it's still 5,300 pounds. So uh, it's, it's no not going to set the world on fire. What's that, the price, like yeah. mid-50s? Uh, the base model starts at 52,845. And premium starts at uh, 57,640. But you can easily, with all the bells and whistles, you can turn 70 grand pretty Jeez. easy i'd imagine you got off road with this thing didn't you that's the most impressive part of it i mean this thing is the real deal it has uh, a crawl control system that lets you uh, choose from five different speeds in it's forward. also a two-speed high-low transfer case yeah and the crawl works in reverse too so hmm. there's no way you're going to get it stuck and um there's a uh, there's a system that controls your uh, front and real front and rear stabilizer bars uh 
which in off-road situation, it'll disconnect them and allow you full articulation. And on unre uneven uh, highway roads and stuff, it'll stiffen them up and take all your body roll out. I mean, when it you is. think about it, for uh, for maybe a more cottage brand off-road vehicle, uh, this this vehicle is half the money you could spend on a, on uh, a, on a Range Rover or something. <laughs> I didn't want to call yeah, it a well, Range Rover. But, and all this stuff will work a year down the road, too. All these systems will more than likely still still help you out. I was just, a lot of those off-road systems, I guess, are off the FJ Cruiser because they have that same. Yeah, I yeah, think it's yeah, very similar. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, because that's based on the Forerunner too. Yeah, yeah, it's so. a wolf in soccer mom's clothing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it looks like they've they've actually got a fair. What started out to be a, a crowded uh, segment of the market, and they're now almost the only ones left in it. I mean, it's pricey, but it's more. No, I wouldn't say practical, but it's more useful. Uh, you know, if you've got to tow something or you know, really oh, yeah. awesome it's, stuff. It's durable and yeah. it's it's ready for the task. But it's a real truck. It's a real truck, fancied up. Okay, let's move along to something that goes in absolutely the opposite direction, and that's the second-generation Kia Sorento. Uh, the Sorento is now being uh, made as we speak in a new plant in Georgia, so it's a U.S.-made Kia. Uh, the vehicle itself is called a compact, but it's actually rather large. It's about the size of a Chevrolet Equinox. With that said, Brian Robinson, you own the first-generation Sorento. What was your impression with the second? generation uh, plus forward and back how you how did you read it um my wife's uh, been driving one for about five years now we got over 105,000 miles on it and uh i'll be honest i was a little nervous getting into it uh first why because you thought you'd have yeah, to buy well, one no first korean vehicle you know that i had bought but we've had really good luck with it no no problems with 100,000 miles and and uh, it's been a really great vehicle compare the new one um I wouldn't say I was blown away by it, but um, I don't know if it's a big step forward. Uh, the styling, I probably don't like as much. Hmm. Obviously, the ride is much nicer being, uh, you know, unibody now. And your old, yeah. your first generation is, of course, body on front. Yeah, and it still tows 3,500 pounds at the V6, so you're not giving anything up there. Uh, the one we had here was a four-cylinder, which, you know, I'll give them credit for putting a four-cylinder in there just, you know, for those that don't ever uh, plan on hauling anything. But, you know, it was adequate. You know, certainly not uh, abundance of power there. I had a chance when I drove it. Uh, I drove it uh, in Atlanta, and we went down to see the new plant. Uh, and um, it was pouring down rain, so we really didn't have a chance to ring it out very much. Uh, I thought the ride was impressive. I thought the engine was actually quieter. The four cylinders quieter than I expected. I was comparing it to the Chevy Equinox, which is a, a vehicle I like a lot, and I thought it was actually a little quieter under heavy load than the Equinox. It surprised me. It doesn't get quite as good a fuel economy. Becomes close. Um, nice and interior, comfortable seats. But I understand when you took it to the track, the Sorento wasn't quite what you expected either. I well, mean, it was the four-cylinder, so it wasn't setting the world right. on fire. But what about the uh, handling aspects? Oh, yeah, you know, being a crossover now, uh, it handled great. Stayed flat, not much roll. Yeah. So you really did, you felt like that they did, a, that you felt they've done a competent job with it. Yeah. Anybody else got comments? Because we had one well, in here and everybody got a chance I, I mean, to drive ben it. Ben and I, I talked to Ben as soon as he had gotten back from the track. And, I, you know, we usually have a quick conversation after the, the, those little drives. And he didn't seem too impressed with the way it handled. But uh, I felt like it was on the road, it, it was sufficient. You take it out to the track and do our handling exercises around the cones and ben, it what, started to fall how apart did it, a little How did bit. it react at the, at the track? 
Um, it was a little numb through the, the steering wheel. There wasn't a whole lot of feel there. and um, They roll a lot? Yeah, it felt to me like it rolled. I wasn't on the other side of the lens, but uh, I haven't had a chance to look at the footage, but it did feel like it. But behind the wheel. But did you feel uh, did you feel like it was excessive or just because it had a soft ride? Or One thing that stands out in my mind is the, when we did the emergency lane change, uh, it, it was a little scary for me there. Um, hmm. Like Schmidt said, on a, an everyday driving situation, it'll be fine. You're never going to encounter what we put it through on the car. Right. Well, these uh, these vehicles are not sports cars. I mean, they they aren't. It was quiet too on the on yeah. normal roads. I mean, you could get it up to highway speed 70, 75, 80, and doesn't really. Uh, the cabin stays nice and. Nice and it gets up there hush. pretty quick without you noticing it. Yeah. Even yeah, even I, that's what that's what I found. I found it very competent. Um, uh, I thought the interior was nice. I liked it. It wasn't didn't it, no, nothing about the vehicle jumped out and screamed at me and said, "This is the best I've ever driven in, in that class." But yet it was totally competent. I thought it was um, uh, seemed very well put together. And of course, based on your opinion, Brian Robinson, and also a lot of other people, Kia's quality has certainly uh, come leaps and bounds in the recent years. There were a few interior things. Uh, the rear seats fold a lot easier than they used to. Mm-hmm. You used to bottom up and then hold the only. It's bigger. Did you feel like it was bigger? Because it's, it's like eight, nine cubic feet larger than than the it previous. It felt maybe a little bigger, but not not that, you know, mm-hmm. not that significant. Is it quieter? Definitely, definitely yeah. quieter. So yeah. a good successor to a, a vehicle that they actually did, Kia did very well with. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, having the four-cylinder optional, you know, it's kind of the right vehicle at the right time. And it's still, you know, comparably equipped, you know, five, six grand oh, yeah. cheaper than yeah, it all is, of its competitors. Yeah, it is a bargain. Okay, well, that's the Kia Sorento. I think uh, we basically gave it a cautious uh, thumbs up uh, with a few caveats, and that's good. It's a, an interesting vehicle, and I hope Kia does well with it. Let's move on now to our lightning round. And this is where we have two minutes to debate a uh, question or a statement, and then we hear the bell. The bell tolls from Michelle. And so here we go. A year ago... It looked like Americans were trending towards smaller cars, and gas, of course, was predicted to go up from the then around four bucks a gallon to five or more. Uh, none of that has happened. So, do you think Americans will ever become a uh, small car nation? Do you think America will ever become a small car nation, even if gas prices go up? No, I mean, think so. I mean, there's always room for small cars, but I mean, we're a big country and. We like to do a lot of cool things, and we like to work hard, and we need big vehicles for a lot of that. Uh, but there's plenty of room for both. I mean, not everyone needs a big vehicle, and I think some people that were using them as daily drivers realize they don't need that big of a vehicle. But, uh, you know, there's always going to be room for both. Ben? Yeah, I mean, judging by my the street that I live on as a, an example, there's uh, maybe one or two out of uh, 100 uh, small cars on that whole street. So. <laughs> And, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish. Uh, I thought you were yeah. done. Uh, like Brian said, everyday drivers uh, that have long commutes are going to have uh, smaller cars, and, and people with families are going to have um, maybe not as big as uh, our parents had, but smaller. Still family-duty yeah. vehicles. Small for a family vehicle, maybe. Uh, I mean, I agree, except for the, the possibility that if it does actually ever go up to 5 or $6, uh, that's enough to scare the heck out of people, I think. And maybe there will be a shift at that point. But uh, for now— Well, that's what we said when it was 2 and it went to 3 and 3 it went to 4. And, of course, fuel prices could be anything depending on the world situation. You know, what got me is right about the time this was all happening— um, 
uh, I had to go to New York, and I drove our Honda Fit long-term up there. So it was myself and a videographer, and we spent like an hour trying to get through the Holland Tunnel. And we were surrounded by big buses and big trucks, and everybody that was driving into the city in a light-duty vehicle had the biggest SUVs, you know, either foreign or domestic brands that you could buy. And there were a couple of times when the buses, I literally, we were between a tra- a, 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 an over-the-road truck and a bus, and I wasn't sure either one of them saw us, and they were merging into a single lane, and we were in the middle. And I'm thinking, there's no way that people are going to be, you know, happy driving around in small cars when you when the disparity in size to what else is still on the road is going to get worse, not better. So it, the onus is on the automakers under the new, uh, the, you know, fuel economy guidelines to figure out a way to accomplish. Our that. cities aren't really set up for it either. You can no. you can drive a smart, but you know you're still going to park it in the garage probably. So you're paying for that, and you're you're not going to be able to take advantage of it being a small car. I mean. It's going to take a long time for it to change. And I don't think just uh, changing some laws in Washington is going to do it. I really don't. But it is interesting. It's, uh, we do right now a lot of small cars that were hot a year ago, like the smart car. They're having a hard time selling them. Okay, mm-hmm. thanks, Michelle, for the uh, bell. And let's move on now to our Motor Week mailbag. Now, if you have a question that you'd like us to answer on one of our podcasts, you can visit our website at www.motorweek.org. You can submit your question. If chosen, you'll receive, drum roll, please, a free Motor Week T-shirt. Highly coveted. Highly coveted. T-shirt. And this question actually comes from uh, close by. It comes from Garrett in Atlanta, Maryland. And he asked the following. I'm sure you folks have been following the developments with the Progressive Automotive X Prize. It seems as though the focus of the competitors usually falls into one of three categories. Weight reduction, aerodynamics, and fuel technologies. Which do you think will be the biggest factor for the winner and why? Let me start this off. Please. I don't think <laughs> either, I don't think either one of those things is going to be the tipper. Uh, it's going to take. This is the thing that that everybody is ignoring about what's going on with the new fuel economy rules that kick in in a couple of years. You're going to have to do all of this just to get close. You're going to have to make sure that the vehicle weighs as little as possible, which means more aluminum, more magnesium, more plastic, uh, even more and much stronger lightweight steels. Aerodynamics that's been in play with cars now for years. That's why we're always telling people if if you damage all the underbody skirts on a car, you're screwing up the aerodynamics and going to ruin your fuel economy. And then fuel technologies, you know, turbos, fuel injection, hybrids. Uh, Center of everything. right? Air, all of that. So I think the winner of the XPRIZE is probably going to be something that's got all three of those things yeah. involved. Yeah, it's a multi-pronged. You, you can't, there is no silver bullet to getting higher fuel economy. Yeah, I think weight reduction's got to be a big part of it. I mean, I think we're tapping out as far as aerodynamics, how much more we can do. And, you know, I'm talking about real street cars and fuel technologies. We all know what's going on there. But, I mean, cars just keep getting heavier and heavier. And granted, it's a lot of it has to do with all the safety regulations we have now and all the comfort and convenience features. But just about every car, you know, when they redo it, 
make a new generation, they add one or 200 more pounds to it. And it's usually features like you know DVD players and nav systems and this and that stuff that people want. Technology is heavy. So, yeah, yeah, as, as we keep increasing fuel economy, we keep adding more weight and negating it. And somewhere that has to turn around. Yeah. And, yes, you can get that by making smaller vehicles, and no doubt the, the winner of the X uh, prize will probably be a, f- a small vehicle and will probably be very aerodynamic. But you've got to make a street vehicle big enough for people to get into it and carry all their belongings. It's just like we were talking with the previous uh, lightning round question. So it's the answer, uh, Garrett, is it's going to take all of the above and then probably a lot more imagination than we've seen up to now. Yeah, Garrett. Lots of lab jackets on that one. Very good question, and one that speaks a lot to the future. Once again, if you've got a question uh, for us on the podcast, uh, go to our website, motorweek.org, submit it, and uh, we hope to have it for you on a future podcast. And that wraps up. Uh, today's podcast number 28 for Motor Week. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to catch Motor Week on your local public television stations. I'd like to thank audio engineer Jim Bigwood, our producer, uh, podcast creator, rather, uh, Bob Mixter, and, of course, our producer extraordinaire, the lady with the bell, uh, Michelle Parker, who makes all of this possible. And for all of us at Motor Week, we'll be here next time on our next Motor Week podcast. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Cars.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.